Welcome to MoneyWeb Now. Business news every morning. It's Monday, 18 December. I'm Simon Brown coming at you loud and recorded from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Nick Kunza, Sunline Private Wealth, on a roller coaster of a year with some really big losers, but also some really good winners on the local exchange. Stock picking mattered in 2023. Noreena Fisser, Director at ETFSA, reviewing a huge year in local ETFs, some massive winners, the rise of AMCs and the 10x buyout of core shares. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Nikunza Sunlam Private Wealth. Uh, Nick, appreciate the time today. Looking at our market, the big story must be the PGM miners. I mean, miners generally, but Implats off 65, Sabania almost half, Anglo-American over 40%. It, it really has been a horror for, for, for miners after a spectacular 21 and a not bad 2022. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's how quickly uh, cycles change. And, and, and we know with the PGMs, uh, you know, living in South Africa and investing in South Africa, we live in a very cyclical business. Um, unfortunately, you know, the good times were, as you pointed out, a year or so ago. And, and this whole year, these prices have been grinding lower. I mean, it's been a while. I actually, it had to put up a, a, a chart, Simon, of, of palladium and platinum. Mm-hmm. It looks like palladium is almost, is almost you know, give or take $20, it's the same price as platinum. I actually never thought I'd see that. So, yeah, these base price metal and these PGMs have come in significantly. Uh, the question is, you know, do you bottom pick them now? And, I mean, that's the million-dollar question as investors. Yeah, and, and I mean, staying with bottom picking, I mean, Sassel, Sassel's mm. also, all, almost a third this year. That is oil, I mean, truthfully, oil's been all over the place. But I pulled mm. up some mm. numbers, and the one that absolutely staggered me was the 10-year CAGR on Sassel, which is minus 10%. I mean, this is a, a, mm. a beloved stock for South African investors. Sassel is a, is a very tricky one, and I speak from, you know, disclosure, we do own them in our, in our mm. portfolios at Sunnum, but, you know, where it becomes quite tricky is as the world's transitioning to, to more alternative energies and, and the green transition stage, you, you've got to say, like, where does Sassel fit on the scheme of things? Um, there was a note out of the weekend from the Financial Times, and, and this is a fact that, I don't know if you knew this, this or not, but I certainly didn't, that the Sassel Secunda plant <laughs> – puts out more CO2 than the whole of Portugal as a country. Yeah. Uh, and that is a fact. So, unfortunately, what you've got is, is, is overseas investors who are far more susceptible to ESG pressure um, and environmentally friendly investing are not touching the share. And uh, us as South Africans are almost like the holders of law, the buyers of last resort. Um, so, that's that one side of the Sassel story. The other side of the Sassel story is as cheap as it's ever been. You know, you're buying a you know, positive cash flow, it's sitting on a 3P. Yeah. At some point, you want to sort of uh, put management uh, at the new headquarters in a headlock and say, well, maybe it's time to buy back shares. You know, Actually, if, I hadn't if, if thought this is as cheap as it's going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got the cash flow for it. Of course, the other mm-hmm. uh, big story of the year was transaction capital down 70%. It's kind of what a year since David Herbert did that, what became an infamous sale. Mm-hmm. SA Taxi was one sector of our market, which I don't know, I always thought was going to be kind of 
bulletproof. Lesson learned. Nothing's bulletproof. Lesson learned and, and, and lesson learned, I think, Simon, from uniquely South African problems. Um, because, yes, you raise a good point. I mean, I don't know what the portion is given, what the, the trials and tribulations of Transnet and Prasa. You know, how many South Africans get to work by uh, by taxi? I would mm. hesitate to say the majority. Yep. So, yes, it's fairly bulletproof from that point of view. But not bulletproof to the trials and tribulations of, of operating a business in South Africa. I mean, you've heard the stories of, of taxi fares, what it costs them when the traffic lights are red, how long it takes them longer when there's no traffic lights and all the rest of it. So uniquely South African problem that's hitting the bottom line. But I do think, I do think uh, it's a very strong management team and I probably wouldn't get a bet against them if you're looking at uh, as, a, as a new shareholder at these levels opposed to an existing shareholder. I, I take the point because, I mean, we buy cars, Newton, what they made a little over mm. a billion in the last set of results. I mean, you know, you put those on a lazy 10 PE, you, you're above current market cap. Yeah, and that, and that Newton business is an unbelievable business. It's a really, really solid business. And they did buy a, a quality asset and we buy cars. The problem again is, you know, if we're heading into a little bit of a, a possible slowdown into next year, locally and globally, uh, you saw ABSA, right, I guess, after the first set of warnings on, mm-hmm. on Friday. You know, this is uh, the consumer starting to feel a little bit of pressure. So second-hand car market also not going to be bulletproof. But you are getting it, uh, you know, at, at a decent level compared to it was a year ago, that's for sure. Moving to winners, because truthfully, the list of losers, and I'm looking at a top 40 here, the, the, the loser list is actually not that big, all things considered. Uh, and then on the other side, Harmony. Plus 93% total return for the year, a staggering year. I mean, even gold fields up 40%. Uh, gold, all time highs at the beginning of the month. Gold, surprisingly for me, came to the party. Yeah, and that, and that was against a gold share that, that I think certainly didn't, uh, you know, didn't hasn't displayed its, um, I guess, its uh, safe haven status over the years that I've been watching it. Mm. You know, where there was uh, a brief pop-up, I think, six-odd percent when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. He literally had it for a few days and it fell on a heap again. So it hasn't displayed these safe haven status. So recently, I, I must say, I was a bit of a head-scratch why it's moved so strongly until you start uh, seeing that uh, it's not uh, – moms and pops that are buying them, but it's actually central banks yeah. you know, seeming to be diversifying more and more away from the likelihood that we might be getting dollar weakness and, and, and other reasons behind it. So gold, you are know, coming to the fore. And, and I guess also, Simon, the, you know, the rate cuts starting to be priced in, you know, mm-hmm. your cost of capital, um, interest rates coming in supposedly uh, by the middle of next year, which does have a, the real rate appeal to hold something like gold in your portfolio. Yeah, I chat with World Gold Council over the, the, their quarterly report, and pretty much since Q4 of last year, central bankers have been net buyers of quite chunky mm-hmm, numbers, mm-hmm. And, and then some, some small ones. I mean, Sunlum, which you probably don't want to talk of because it's a parent company, up 48%. Aspen, up 40%. Two yeah. sleepers, in a sense. Yeah, so I mean that was also uh, not the not the uh, I mean they've also come up with the ups and downs, but uh, quite a defensive share, just carrying on doing what they're doing. A recent acquisition uh, in China, giving a bigger yeah. foothold into China, which was quite encouraging. So also carrying on doing what they're doing. So solid business, not expensive. I'm also looking down on my list here. I mean things like uh, what have we got here. We've got Kura Holdings that was mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, fifth what was it year today, twenty six odd percent. Uh, Kumba Iron Ore bucking the trend. I mean, that up 22% uh, compared to the others. So that's still holding on all right. And then our banks, Standard Bank, uh, up 17% as well, Simon. So some of the financials in a tough operating uh, business uh, seem to be doing quite well too. 
We've spoken a lot about banks over the year, and they certainly mm. have done. The only red one there was Absa. That update mm-hmm. disappointed the market. Looking into next year, I mean, the jaws effect could start coming off. Debts certainly at Standard Bank aren't a problem. Africa's working well. I, for me, it's a head scratch. I, I can't decide which side of the fence to jump. Next, I think next year is going to be very difficult. It's this time of year, isn't it? I mean, having a call with you now and, and clients yeah. obviously trying to figure out what are we going to do. What is the theme going to be for next year? I think for me, uh, the big standout is obviously uh, the end of an era. You know, better part of a decade of, of monetary policy, which has been free, um, is, is, is effectively coming to an end. But on the flip side to that is that I think we've probably seen the peak of interest rates. Uh, locally with our Saab and, and offshore as well. As I said, pricing and, uh, you know, interest rates being cut next year. But, uh, you know, that, given that sort of uh, sort of outlook, I think a slowdown is, is coming next year. There's probably going to be heightened political tensions, not just our elections. We've got mm-hmm. the U.S. elections as well next year as well, slowing global growth. Um, next year is going to be challenging. Um, there's going to be opportunities to make money, but I think it's going to be quite narrow and you've really got to sort of, uh, you, know, you know, find the right ones and back it. It's going to be a very narrow based rally going into opportunities, I think, going into next year. And I, I like your point, in the veneer, suddenly, what, a decade plus of low rates, the, the, you know, barring things mm. going horribly wrong, and they can, uh, we're probably back to a normalization of rates, which I think is going to be Which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just mm. going to be, it's like the, the, the bear market of, of, of 22. If you hadn't been in the market for 15 years, you didn't know what a bear mm. market was. You say a mm. narrow space for next year. Some ideas of, of what that might be. Well, I think you can't ignore, uh, I mean, don't fight AR, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you know, that it's here to stay. It's going to get stronger. It's going to get bigger. Those moats are pretty wide. You know, the, you know, everyone talks about the magnificent seven offshore. Who says they can't carry on going higher? Yeah. You know, they are unbelievable businesses. They are printing cash. Uh, and they are fairly resilient. Uh, the problem being, though, they're not cheap. So you've got to bear that in mind. From a valuation point of view, they are very expensive. But so, I mean, that I would certainly don't drive that off just yet as well. Um, and given, I'd be the one point I'd, I'd avoid, I'd be careful with the uh, discretionary spending and consumer cyclicals. I think there is a slowdown coming. So I'd mm-hmm. probably avoid that sector. Um, and I'd keep looking out for sort of pharma. You know, we've got our own little Aspen doing quite nasty, but offshore, the technological breakthroughs that we're seeing in pharma, also is having a Nordisk, uh, that share price absolutely flying with anti-obesity drugs. There's been more of those sort of things coming through. And the pharma sector also, uh, for what it's worth, historically tends to do reasonably well in election years. So bear that in mind uh, when you're sort of uh, looking to add your portfolio going into 2024. Okay, there's another nugget I didn't know because I also didn't know that the FT story around Secunda pollution. We'll leave it there. Nikunza Sanlam, Private Wealth. Always appreciate the insights. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. 
I'm chatting with Narina Fisser. She, of course, ETFSA. Narina, appreciate the time today. Looking back at the year of ETFs, I've got to say, I've been a passive fan forever and a day, but this was an astounding year. I think, <laughs> I think you know, ETFs that doing more than 20% is probably close on 30. The winner on the JSC is the one invest S&P 500 Infotech, 72%. Satrix Nasdaq, yep, yep. 66%. These are crazy numbers. Yep. <laughs> well, base effects would help. Sure. It does help. But yes, these are even with low base effects. It's still spectacular numbers because we did see those ones that you mentioned already start rallying towards the end of last year. So it certainly wasn't just base effects. But, you know, um, Simon, I'm a bit of a, of a stats um, um, mm-hmm. nerd. So I had a look at uh, the number of exchange traded products that closed up for the year and the number that are down. And it's exactly 80% of all the exchange traded products actually closed in the green and only 20% of them, 35 in total, actually had negative returns. So that is quite spectacular. You know, the market increased by about 23% in terms of the market cap or the AUM in all these products. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that was price, you know, sort of an aggregate price increase of around about 17%, but about 6% new issues also. So brand new products, but also additional issuances by existing ETFs and, and other exchange-traded products as well. So, yes, you're right. A spectacular year indeed. And, 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 and so what it is then, I mean, that you know, 80% green is just, uh, particularly when it doesn't feel like a year that was very green if you were outside <laughs> yes. the magnificent seven. But we had Japan, we had Europe, we had India. Even the sort of more niche ETFs have really uh, come to the party and, and done what they yeah. say on the sticker. Yeah, indeed. But I think maybe part of the reason why for many people it doesn't feel like the market has been so up is if you sort of split these between global exposure and local exposure, our yeah. local ETFs certainly did not do particularly well. You know, the flagship Satrix 40 up 1%, um, mm. you know, so that gives you some sort of idea compared to some of those, like the S&P 500, 35%. And yes, the RAND does play some role in that, but certainly the local market has not performed as strongly as the as the the, the global, especially the developed markets and the US in particular is fed. Um, but the Satrix Indy, you know, uh, probably yeah. the best of the bigger local ones. Finney also did quite well. The The theme for me in the bad performers was very much mining and certain commodity related. So we see things like the Satrix Resi, the Divi Plus, the Sharia 40. These things are all ETFs that have a very high mining company exposure and they were all solidly in the red for the year. And I noticed you politely skipped the rhodium ETF down over 60%. (laughs) But hey, you take single commodity, you take your chances. The one that surprised me, but then of course it doesn't, the Satrix Divi, which is uh, down a little in the year. But of course that's Thungela, that's Implats, and and that's its construct. It's forward dividend yield, that's how you get it, and then the price can fall. Yeah, and you know, when we look at the way that that index is constructed, it very much focuses on forecasted or forward dividend yields. So when the analysts are not that quick to update their forecasts, and certainly the likes of Tungela and even Kumbai Zara and so on, you know, the challenges around exports, the inability to get the raw material out through the ports, mm. that hurt our mining industry overall. And then you see it specifically in these sort of ETFs that have a disproportionate exposure to these mining 
companies. And, and, and that comes back to the, one of the key lessons with ETFs is, is know how they built. You know, I think a lot of yeah, folks yeah. think Divi and they think high dividend. It's a, it's a methodology. Knowing what's yes. inside and the, the process is important. Absolutely. I often encourage people that that's really what you need to do when you want to do a due diligence on an ETF, because this is not about a fund manager or a portfolio manager or to a large extent, even the issuer. You know, it's yes, the issuer does play a role to some extent, but it's mostly the index that you are buying into. So that's really where you want to spend most of your assessment, your analysis. Look at how that index is constructed. What is the and I, the two main things that I focus focus on what is the selection criteria for the stocks in that mm. index? So what is the basis on which it's chosen? The likes of the top 40? Well, the 40 yeah. largest companies by market cap on the JC. Easy. Divi Plus? Well, the 30 out of the top 100 that has the highest forward dividend yield. A very different group of companies than the top 40. But the second aspect is then how are these stocks then weighted in that index? And again, the example of sort of your vanilla, the likes of a top 40 or whatever market cap weighted so the biggest companies have got the biggest weights. And of course, we see that in the S&P 500 with its magnificent seven and you mm-hmm. see it in the NASDAQ and so on. But then when you then look at something a little bit more unusual like the Divi Plus, the weight even of those companies are also determined by its dividend yield. So when it works well, it works really well in your favor. When it doesn't work so well as it did this past year, then you really do get hammered almost like a double whammy. Yeah, absolutely. I take your point that you mentioned uh, orm assets under management up 23 percent what is the size of the etf market these days we're looking at 165 billion rand as we stand now and i can tell you that 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 is represented by 214 exchange traded products <laughs> uh, yes we do now have more exchange traded products than than companies that you can feasibly invest <laughs> in <laughs> on the jc so um we had and, and I, I use the term you'll hear exchange traded products because yeah. yes ETFs obviously a very important part of that, almost 100 of that 214 ETFs. But then we also have ETNs, exchange traded notes, which is typically, an a, call it a promissory note issued by a bank that says, we promise to pay you the performance of the reference asset. Yeah. You don't own the asset as the investor, and I love using gold as an example. If you buy a gold ETF, you actually have ownership of the gold in that ETF. When you buy a gold ETN, you get the performance of the gold price, but you don't actually own the gold. And so ETNs are great. They allow us to get access to investments that might not otherwise be easily accessible. Think of things like your agricultural commodities or energy commodities, you know, oil, coal, those sort of things. But then also things like, for example, currencies. We had a conversation this morning here at the office about the exorbitant fees that are paid for Forex exchange, probably one of the most expensive Mm -hmm. financial services products. You can buy an APSA new USD, which is effectively the Rand dollar exchange trade note. The price of that in rands is just the rand dollar exchange rate. So the rand weakens, the price goes up. The rand strengthens, the price goes down. And so it's a very clean and neat one. 
But then clearly the story of 2023 have been the rise of active in the ETP space. And for many people, this still feels like a bit of a a contradiction in terms. How can you have actively managed ETFs? I thought all ETFs were index tracking products. (laughs) But no, they are certainly a very strongly growing part of the global ETF industry. And we now in South Africa also have a number of these actively managed ETFs. So the underlying is also a CIS, so it's a unit trust, but it's actively managed. And then we've got a large number um, of AMCs, actively managed certificates. So they're very much like the ETNs that we spoke about, but your underlying reference portfolio is an actively managed portfolio overseen by a specialist portfolio manager that manages that assets on your behalf. And what we're seeing here is is some really great products. I mean, Keith McLaughlin's got a, mm. uh, an offshore small cap. Uh, Andy Pfaff has got that, mm. that, that uh, commodity one. They might not be in tax yes. account yet, but they really are giving an investor on the JSC great range and ease of purchase. Absolutely. And I really want to to, um, encourage investors to go and have a look at some of the underlying investments in this space, because we have products, for example, that invest in American companies, US equities, but they pick them on the basis of high dividends and high share buybacks. So here you are dealing with companies that return a lot to shareholders, both through dividends and through share buybacks. That's a particular active strategy, and Mm. you can buy that as an AMC. There are other products that allow you to invest in liquid private credit. So in the US, your your regional banking crisis resulted in a lot of companies not being able to go to their traditional bank to raise capital. And so there's these private credit companies that lend money to these corporates. And you can now have a whole basket of investments into these liquid private credit companies. So there's such an interesting range that's out there. And yeah, if people are a bit of a nerd, like I am, maybe you want to spend some of your December holiday having <laughs> a closer look at some of these more unusual products. Yeah, there, there are some absolutely excellent ones coming in. The other big story in the in the ETP space was the acquisition of uh, core shares by 10X. Now, the products haven't disappeared. They've all just been rebranded yep. as, as 10X. Um, but but it, was a, it was a big deal. It makes perfect sense for, for, for uh, 10X, of course. Absolutely. And in fact, it was they were one of the most proficient new ETF issuers, five new ETFs that came from the 10X stable in this year alone. The other one that we also saw being quite, I call it the new kid on the block, because Prescient is now also an ETF issuer. And they've also issued five ETFs, one of them being an actively managed product. (laughs) So yes, the 10X transaction, I agree with you, it makes perfect sense in terms of the client base, the reach and what can be achieved with that. We see quite a bit of that in the um, in the interest bearing or the bond space, but they also have some really interesting equity products. Yeah. They have, for example, a mm. top 20 domestic equity ETF, and then they have the next 40. So it's a little bit like the mid cap, except that it's just shares number 21 to 60 that you get, and it's equally weighted. So, you know, there's so many different ways in which one can now slice and dice this uh, ETF universe, but also the JSE 
And then obviously the incredible access that you get to global investments via these exchange traded products. You know, I always say this is like me buying my favorite Belgian chocolate at my local spa. It's still the same <laughs> Belgian chocolate that I get, but I've got the convenience and the ease of transaction of doing it in my local shop that I know, know very well. And I think that's certainly what global ETFs have brought to the table for ETF investors. Yeah. And of course, uh, Gareth Stobie, who uh, was core shares, has now moved across to ETFSA and working with yourself and Mike Brown. We'll leave it Indeed. there. Nirina Fisser, ETFSA, always appreciate the insights. Your money can do more when it's investing with conviction. Our partnership with J.P. Morgan Asset Management gives you access to in-depth, broad market research and high-return investment strategies. So invest in a select set of companies with long-term structural growth potential with Stanlib's Global Growth Fund. Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The Money Web website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, multi-choice and the rental market. Listen to the live stream of MoneyWeb Now at the same time every weekday. For more business, finance and investment news. MoneyWeb Now on The Money. Also available on podcast.